Hello and welcome to Vista Talks, interesting discussions with interesting people from all around the world. I'm your host for today, Simon Hodgkins, and I'm delighted to be joined by Lee Densner. Lee is an impact-driven global content marketing strategist, and I know Lee creates content experiences that help to bring global customers closer to their brands. Lee spent over 20 years now in the localization industry, starting off as a project manager uh, and moving into solutions architecture and, of course, marketing and management. Lee currently owns her own content marketing company called Globia. So um, I know, Lee, it's going to be a fascinating episode because you believe that content can make or break a brand, something that I also hold dear, and you're a strategic, you're tactical, and uh, I know you like to focus also on teamwork and communication, two other really important areas that maybe we can touch on a little bit today. So when you're when you're not working, Lee, I know you like to hike, you like to cook, you like to travel, you like to read, and let's not forget about this passion for bananagrams. We'll get into that. Um, so look, I know you don't think anybody can beat you there, but you're very welcome to this episode. Let's get on. Let's move on to the first question I've got for you, but you're very welcome, Lee. Thank you so much. I'm super excited to be here. And thanks for that amazing introduction. I, I, I hardly recognize myself, but that's, that's, that's brilliant. Very good. Well, look, you've obviously got a lot of localization experience. I said you mentioned, I mentioned, sorry, that you run Globia now. Can you let us know about the type of work that you're involved in? You know, the sort of current area that you that you work in a lot um, when it comes to, I suppose, content and content marketing, something we're very interested in on this on this show. Yeah. Uh, and the best way to explain what I do is by giving you a couple examples and telling you about the gaps that I help my customers solve. So I focus on global growers, you know, companies in the 200 people range who are looking at going global and they often well, they lack a content marketing strategy, they're ad hoc, and they have no idea how to take that content global. They're just like, people in Spain are starting to interact with me on social media. So I help with the buyer personas and the customer research for that specific market because they're different than the home market. They have different beliefs and different values. And I help them with messaging for that market. How do you target that market? And sometimes the messaging is quite different. Um, and then I get tactical and help them plan an editorial calendar. And we'll talk about it later, but that involves an adaptation process often. Your original content is, is good. It's there, but it needs an adaptation. Um, I also help with um, actually building out that topic and then with translation planning. So for one company, I'm, I'm, we've really gone back to the foundations and I'm helping them with messaging and buyer personas. For another company, I'm helping with a campaign for a specific market. So what I do um, runs the gamut between strategy, planning, and then tactics. Thanks, Lee. And do you still feel that when you're when you're working with companies of that shape and size, that there's still that gap between sudden that sudden realization that this isn't going to work in these new markets that we're looking at? Sometimes people come to me having made a mistake, having put a lot of money into it, not gotten any traction. Sometimes they have enough awareness to say, I don't think this market is the same as our market. But like you said, often I find a gap in a content marketing strategy at all. And you can't go to a new market if you've never done it for your home market. 
Oh, 100%. And look, you, you mentioned that that global content strategy. So could you maybe expand on that a little bit for our listeners? Because it's such an important area for organizations to get right. There are some catastrophic uh, examples that I won't quote <laughs> where some companies get it really wrong. But maybe you could unpack a little bit about that global content strategy. What's involved in a content strategy when you're looking to expand internationally what are some of the really important areas lee yeah um i have to mention the funniest example which is the got milk campaign and there was an ad agency in san francisco who translated that for the latin american market and the translation ended up being are you lactating so an example of a, of a horrible mistake of a brand who got it totally wrong and also in Latin America, it was embarrassing for homemakers and wives to have to even go out for milk. So they just, I mean, complete fail. So what's important is that buyers are not the same worldwide. Um, they have different beliefs, they have different habits, they have different values, they have different, you know, everything's different. They have different needs and paths to purchase. So as I mentioned before, you you really have to define your buyer. So that's a pillar of a global content strategy. Is, going back to who's your buyer and what do they believe. They also don't consume content in the same way. They might read blogs, they might rely on reviews, they might go straight to social. So you have to understand where you're distributing that content. I mean, if a tree falls in a forest, right? Do you hear the sound? Are, are you even in the right forest for that client? So that's why it's so important for businesses who are going global to get their buyer right. And I think that's so important. I, I love the the term, are you even in the right forest? Uh, because sometimes it is it is that catastrophic miss. And the alignment of the business goals, the the area, the geography, the culture, the language that they're trying to move into, uh, it can become quite complex for companies quite quickly. And I suppose that's where your organization comes in to help these um, help these companies, these individuals with these sort of challenging um decisions plans strategies and when when you advise people advise companies who are trying to put this global content strategy together are there any sort of main factors that you start with or what what should these companies be taking into account lee when they're trying to build their own global content strategy right um so often companies come to me and think i just need to translate my content so the first thing I try to help people understand is that it's way more complicated than that. And in fact, just translating randomly, you know, rent, let's call them random acts of translation can really waste your money and go and go wrong for you. So I guide people towards making good decisions about their approach. I mean, after the customer research and the buyer personas, their approach to adaptation. Are you translating? Are you transcreating, which we can define in a minute? Are you hiring a copywriter in your country? Um, are you choosing the right content to translate? You don't want to translate all of it ever. You want to translate the most um, high-performing content, the most used content, the most effective content for that market. But that's based on data and, and research for that market. Always back to the customer and how they're consuming and what they're, what they're reading about. Um, budgeting. I talk through my clients about budgeting. Where do you want to spend your money? Money is never infinite. Um, and we talk about measurement. So you need a strategy to measure the effectiveness of your effort before you even get started. Nothing should be ad hoc. We don't do random acts. 
of translation. We don't do random acts of localization. Yeah, I like that. No, no random acts of translation. And um, I, I think the the measurement as well and the return on that sort of work that you do uh, for organizations is key. Because you mentioned earlier that sometimes you get called in after people have spent a lot of money in this area or gone into a new market, a new area, launched a new service product. And they suddenly realize they're not getting the traction that they want, as you were mentioning. So it is really, really important. And then obviously you've mentioned transcreation. And I wanted to ask you a little bit about that because yeah. people immediately, if, if they're not in the localization industry per se, they kind of may have heard of translation. They know they don't speak the same language, so they need to get this into a different uh, language. And they immediately sort of think to translation in a lot of cases. Um, and then they discover this whole world of localization hiding around the corner that they suddenly become a little bit familiar with. And then we get into this world of transcreation. Would it be helpful maybe for some of our listeners? I know a lot of our listeners are very experienced localization, both uh, uh, buyers, providers uh, involved in the industry and the services that the localization uh, landscape provides. But for those people listening and watching around the world who maybe are a little bit newer to it or are struggling with that global content strategy, it might be helpful just to talk a little bit about the differences, Lee, if you can, between translating something, the localization approach, and then what transcreation is. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's critical. And, and I think we can make it simple. Translation is one-to-one. Word for word, one-to-one. Uh, well, translation, not to use the same word again, but it's very methodical. Transcreation, on the other hand, translation is about words. Transcreation is about culture. So it's, it's not a one-to-one. It's definitely not a one-to-one. There's a adaptation. There's a crafting required when you adapt, let's use the word adapt instead of translate, when you adapt content for one culture to the next. It's a creative endeavor and it requires a deep understanding of the culture, not just the language. Translation language one-to-one, transcreation culture-to-culture, creative pursuit. You can take it a step further and go into in-country content creation, which is a new um, effort you're not taking source material and transferring it, but you're actually creating from scratch. And sometimes that approach is absolutely necessary. Sometimes you can just bang your head against the wall when you're trying to translate or transcreate something and you realize, I got to stop. I just got to go from scratch for this market. Yeah, thanks, Lee. And you mentioned that sort of uh, culture aspect. Um, and I wanted to ask you about that because it is really important. I want to get your views on that. This concept of cultural intelligence, I suppose, uh, that right. we often talk about. You know, it's so vital when you enter a new market, isn't it? Mm-hmm. So cultural intelligence is a thing. If you search it on the internet, you're going to get hits. And it's a, it's a term in business that relates to understanding a culture well enough to adapt your approach, your sales approach, your marketing approach, your doing business approach. So... It is an IQ that must be developed. Um, All people are not the same. As I've mentioned, people believe and feel and think and prioritize different things. So if your work has anything to do with another culture, you have to develop develop an understanding of that culture in order to be effective. It's critical. Um, This is research. This is talking with customers. This is traveling. If you don't get out and travel and see the world, you might not even connect with the fact that cultures are so wonderfully different, so colorfully different. 
So if you are in marketing, if you are in sales, if you are in customer support, if you are in management and leadership with a global company, I can't think of very many roles who, who can't benefit from an, a, a deeper understanding of the culture that they're working with. Critical. Yeah, it's so true. And it reminds me, we did an episode recently on another show uh, called X Cultural. Um, and we were talking about that very element of travel and how that fits into exactly what you're talking about. Um, and I, I want to maybe pause a little bit and think a little bit about the term global content, because oh, yeah. I know, you know, some people um, think about, well, is this content? Is it global um, and maybe some of maybe busting some of that myth around that global and in inverted commas contently. What are your thoughts on that area? I love that you just called it a myth. Um, there's no such thing as global content. Global content would have to be so generic that it's appropriate for everyone. It would have to relate to people's experience everywhere and assume that everybody's experience is the same. It would have to use such bland imagery that it would be offensive to no one. And if it's offensive to no one, then it's really applicable to no one, right? Like, let, let's unpack that a little bit. If it applies to everyone, who is it specific for? Not good enough. So I'm not saying that you can't try to create global content that requires less adaptation, but that concept applies best to technical materials, FAQs stuff that is not emotional, stuff that is not creative. So it's a myth if you're talking about advertising and marketing. It really is, it doesn't exist. And content must be adapted for each specific market. And, and content does have this um, superpower at being able to build relationships, build communities, connect with people, engage with people. And, you know, ultimately, back to, again, the point that you were making earlier, it needs to move the dial. It needs to be able to, in, in, in a lot of companies' cases, produce revenue, you know, sell products, move stuff. Um, in today's world, however, um, we've got to talk a little bit about AI content because that's kind of growing and growing every second you pick up the, the latest news streams from wherever you get them. Uh, what's your view on, you know, content, its ability to connect, shape revenue, and any early thoughts on how AI plays a part in this, if at all? Oh, my gosh. Yeah, it's hot right now, isn't it? A lot of people are fiddling with AI, trying to figure out as marketers how to use it. AI cannot be emotional. It cannot connect. It cannot be human. And when you're building relationships and trust with a market, you have to be emotional. You have to be human, it's mandatory. So you can use AI very well for ideation, for changing the tone of your piece for a specific audience, for generating keywords. There's a lot of, let's say, tactical things that you can do with AI, but you can't do creative, clever, emotional things with AI. It's got its place definitely and everybody's learning, but I, you know, and there's always that debate, will AI replace us? Never, no, never. AI cannot transcreate. So we, so we have the benefit of the, the human in the loop there, I suppose, yeah. um, being very, very important and AI being used more as a tool uh, in this landscape. But I wanted to ask you as well about standing out, being different, because a lot of brands, organizations, 
uh, and even people that are trying to build their own personal brand, they're looking to stand out. They're looking for that differentiation. Um, what, what does that look like when you think about the language industry? There's a lot of consultants. There's a lot of companies out there. There's a lot of language service providers. But how best do you think people can approach this ability to stand out and I suppose at the same time make sure that they're delivering that compelling content that's reaching their target audience such a good question it's so hard and I'm not going to say I have the answers um, when the market is as crowded as it is for LSPs or software as a service or whatever um, it is it is urgent to try to figure out the one thing where you differentiate. And I'm going to emphasize one thing because I see people with a page of differentiators and it starts to become meaningless. Um, we're white glove. We focus on quality. We focus on security. We have special specialization. We're partners, not vendors on and on. And it's noise. It's meaningless. And I like to lead clients through an exercise where they literally dump all the differentiators that they feel they have on a whiteboard. And we literally cross out the ones that are saturated or boring or just not different. And eventually there's a kernel and everybody in the room is like, yes, that's different. We love that. That's who we are. So you have to find the one thing that aligns with your values. It has to be relevant to your buyers. It has to be different. So people will wake up and go, wow, that really is different. I like that. But um, it's not easy. It's not trivial. You really have to dig deep. You really have to be not precious about your ideas and be willing to let go of them. And I've had interesting conversations with people who are like grasping so tight onto the differentiator that's not interesting. And I have to kind of gently pull it away. Nobody cares that you're white glove service. Nobody cares about that. So um, interesting, but difficult. Yeah, I suppose when all the differentiators being put forward are pretty much the same across the board, they are no longer those differentiation points. So no. um, the, the teams, the makeup of the groups of people that work in this area successfully, they aren't the same um, teams that were maybe in place two years ago, five years ago, for sure. Right. Uh, it's changing rapidly. We touched on AI a little bit, but... The tools are changing, but so are the requirements of the skill sets, the people that you need in this language area, you know, whether it's from a global content strategy perspective, whether it's from a marketing perspective, the sales perspective. But when you're when you're thinking about the roles and the skills that you need to be successful in this space today, what's your view on that, Lee? I love that you you almost said that AI is a team member. I picture this robot kind of sitting at the table with everybody else. And he has a place, right? He is a team member. So I, I kind of I kind of like that image that that just brought to mind. So on a content team that has a global view, some of the same roles apply, but you're right, the skill's different. And you might need multiple people in that same role. So for example, you need a content strategist for each market or one that understands that you need a different approach per market. You need a copywriter possibly for each market, right? And then, and then you go with contractors. You don't hire people full-time. You may have a lead copywriter in your home market and then copywriters in country. I emphasize in country because that helps them be closest to the culture. 
if you've got an expatriate linguist in the US, they might not be as connected with the culture today as somebody living in the country. You also need your translators, right? You need your people who are bilingual professionals, not your, not your uncle who lived in Panama, but bilingual professionals certified often. Um, and you need a project manager. You need a really strong project manager, maybe more than one who can work across time zones, who understands the process, who understands the concept of global marketing. Um, I often find that people just kind of try to wing it with project management and let each person manage their own projects. And that creates a mess pretty quickly. It's also important to have an SEO specialist who understands that keyword is not just a translation process. Keywording, I'll say it again, is not a translation process. It's again, reworking, research, studying your market and their intent in order to get that SEO strategy right. So a global SEO strategist is also pretty important for these teams who are going global. Thank you so much for sharing that, Lee. I think we've touched on an awful lot of information there. Yeah. Uh, and hopefully we've given some help and some tips to people who are thinking about their global content strategy, or maybe people who are listening or watching to this episode around the world who maybe need a little bit of help in going global. Yeah. Um, listen, I've got to come back to something we touched on at the start. Let, let, let's just have a little quick dive into this passion for banana grams. <laughs> so I'm a word nerd. I'm a linguist. I have an English degree and um, word games are word. I'm really good at word games, but where I really shine is banana grams. I, my brain just puts those words together. I see that mess of tiles and I'm like, I see the pattern. And I love it because my husband can never beat me. It's literally the one thing where I always dominate. I mean, he's an engineer. He's really good with the numbers games, but Bananagrams just, just, I just rise to the top. <laughs> I love that, Lee. And that's a great note for us to end this show on today. So thanks to Lee Demsner. Thanks to everybody who's watched or listened to this episode of Vista Talks. Make sure that you tune in again uh, to see and or listen to the next Vista Talks show, where once again, We'll be discussing some interesting topics with interesting people from all around the world. Thank you, Lee. It's been great to have you on the show today. Thank you, Simon. That was super fun. I enjoyed it a lot.